Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Agents are looking to cut costs, and I think it's important for brokers to look at what business model they're in and, and ask themselves, you know, are they growing or are they just dying a slow death? Because I could tell you at one point, we were dying a slow death, and it was just taking, it was just a matter of time until we decided that we needed to look again at our revenue model. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Belt, Senior Director of Data and Content for HousingWire. And today I'd like to welcome Ray Rivera, broker and CEO of United Real Estate Gallery, and Sonny Downey, President of United Real Estate Gallery based in Jacksonville, Florida. So Ray and Sonny, thank you so much for being on Real Trending today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a great discussion at United um, Real Estate's recent conference, Elevate, in Orlando, and you discussed your switch um, to United Real Estate. And we were talking about the misconception concerning like low fee brokerages. It's funny because there are traditional models that are concerned about the competition, but there's this misconception that they don't offer any services, that if you go with a low fee, um, you know, the agent doesn't get anything with that. And I know at the conference, United um, did discuss some new benefits in that. But, you know, obviously, I don't want to make this too promotional, but I do want to start with Sonny and tell me a little bit about your thoughts on that misconception um, and and what you want people to understand about the low fee concept. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for having me here. Um, You know, I think when low fees first evolved, probably like during the first real estate recession, I think when we really started to see them take off, that was the original model um, because back during the real estate recession, agents didn't need any tools. They were just looking for higher commission splits. And we thought that it would have a shelf life, which it didn't. Um, You know, it wasn't a shift in the industry, quite frankly. I think it was an evolution. And we kind of found ourselves in the middle between... um, a rock and a hard place because on on one side of the equation with the brand we were originally with, you know, that brand itself, it was, you know, it was a full service concept and that was what we were used to. And the thought of even being able to go into a, a, I guess, a a hundred percent concept, we were worried about having to scale down a lot of our services uh, just because what we knew of that, that business model, But when we started investigating the different brands that were out there, what we saw was it really started to evolve in that space. And what we once saw um, that concept to be, uh, we now see that there are brokerages or brands that have the ability to compete because what I think once tools were used to be like accessories that you didn't have to have. 
uh, now there's a lot of must-haves in a brokerage, uh, a website, um, a marketing hub where you can sit there and create collateral. Those have become some of the basic tools that I think any type of brand or uh, business model needs to bring to the table. And I think that's kind of where the misconception is, is that your agents would have to sacrifice a lot by switching into this business model when it quite frankly isn't true. Uh, there are brands that are delivering still a full service uh, feel, but being able to do it um, at a cost where it's scalable. And Ray, I know that the one question I get asked a lot is, you know, sure, okay, they're just going to charge their agents more for that. Or they, um, you know, a traditional model might say that either you're going to end up paying in the end or your you know, the brokerage is going to go under because they can't afford to give 100% commission and pay for all these services. So how how are a lot of the low fee brokerages able to do this? Is this outside investment or, you know, talk to me a little bit about that aspect of it. Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like piggybacking on what Sonny was saying. If we try to do this on our own, then I think we, if we try to do, you know, low costs on our own, we would have been in some of those situations where like, how do you offer all of these tools and resources if you're basically killing your revenue by giving it almost all to your agents. So when Sai and I were looking like, hey, what are we going to do? You know, when our franchise, last franchise came up, we looked at a lot of different options. And the way that we're able to do it with United is they own their technology. They already have 19,000 agents around the country. So they have those economies of scale where they're able to offer all of those resources um, because they have a big footprint already. If we try to do it on our own, we would have had to exactly, you know, buy a separate CRM, buy, you know, a marketing hub, and then we would have to upsell all of our agents on that. So in the end, are they really getting that much of a better deal? You know, this way we kind of have the best of both worlds. We can attract agents that want to keep more of their money, but still offer, you know, the full service experience. Otherwise, I do think it is harder to do it um, on your own. Yeah, scalability is definitely the key. Plus, yes. um, you know, you know, for for some brokers, it could be also core services that they rely heavily on those affiliated, you know, partnerships to get income in a different way, um, diversifying it a little bit more than just commission. Exactly. So yeah, I was just gonna say, I think too, when you're looking at a lot of the bolt-on products that brokerages have to bring, uh, the per agent cost for bigger brokerages doesn't make sense. Uh, per agent cost on tech platforms when you've got 30 or 40 agents, uh, cost-wise, it, it's something that's swallowable. But, you know, if you're looking at, you know, 400, 500,000, 2,000 agents and you're going in uh, per user, having a brand that, is tech forward and has the ability to either build it, buy it, or bolt it on, I think is essential because most brokerage brands cater to the traditional size brokerage, which is going to usually be 30 to 40 agents. And as brokers, brokers scale their operations, uh, they are going to run into some tech issues uh, where, again, they're either going to have to look to write new technology because potentially their brand's tech doesn't cater to a, a brokerage their size 
or they have to buy it, which again, what Ray was alluding to, the economy of scale, you know, trying to buy technology for a broker that's 500 versus 19,000. There's, there's some, there's some benefit in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I kind of want to talk about growth some too. So Ray, I'll start with you. Um, a lot of brokers are really looking at this market as an opportunity, an opportunity to grow market share to kind of um, better define their products and services and, uh, and that. So what, um, what are you specifically doing to grow in this market? Yeah, no, that's a great point. This, you know, you talked to other brokers out there and there's the one camp that is, okay, we got to cut our expenses, you know, you know, the market, the, it's going to get rough out there. So let's batten down the hatches and just get through the storm. And then there are brokerages like us and United Corp where we're looking forward to a little downturn in the market because uh, we feel we're just correctly positioned in the marketplace where our agents are going to be able to keep more of their money. So if they're doing less deals, they will keep more of that. Um, and then ramping up to this point where we do own our technology, we do have the platform. So they're not losing any um, the resources. Incredible benefit to us. So what Sonny and I and, my, and myself are doing is we're proactively going after those smaller brokerages because you saw a lot of people in you know the last 10 years, the market's been great going straight up from the past 10 years. You know, the mom and pops, they open their own brokerage. Um, they were a glorified team and they open their own brokerage. Um, but now that the market is shifting a little bit, they're starting to feel the pinch. So we're coming in and saying, hey, you could still keep your culture or your team, that whole concept, but just, you know, have us use us as the, as the, the, the back end of uh, your programs, your CRMs and all of that. We'll take care of all of that. And so we're trying to roll in and look for um, offices just to roll in some of the smaller offices. Um, and then and then there's the normal recruiting. Recruiting has never been better for us as it's been the last six months um, because agents are out there looking, hey, what's going to happen with our industry? How are buyer commissions going to be affected? Every amount I could keep a little bit more in my pocket is becoming more and more appealing to the agents out there. Yeah. Sunny, what do you have to say about about kind of the growth strategies of the company? Uh, now, what Ray was talking about, I just want to kind of play off of that. It's a, We are looking for different ways to partner up with different people. And that's kind of the cool thing when you're with a, a growth-minded corporation is that there's a thousand different ways to partner up, not only with us, but with United Real Estate. And that was what attracted us to the company because with some brands, you were very pigeonholed and there were guardrails with what you could do. And uh, I think right now where the market in the position that it's in, uh, flexibility is key, uh, adaptation, because I think that's where we're headed, at least for the next 12 months. Uh, the last 12 months, uh, it kind of reminds me back in 2007 when they said, just give it six months. And we gave it six months and then it didn't fix itself. And then they told us, give us another six months. And now we're almost a year into this market. And for some brokers, their solution is if I keep throwing money at it, maybe the problem will go away. And that's where a lot of brokers were in 2008. And in 2008, brokers had to really open their eyes and, and see where the reality is. And the reality is, is that, you know, there's fewer sellers. <laughs> there's fewer buyers right now. 
Uh, you still have a lot of agents that are in the industry. There's fewer that are coming in at the top. So it's going to become harder and harder for brokers to be able to recruit. I think especially in full service models with, with marketing becoming so much easier with AI tools, the broker dependency, the agent dependency on a broker keeps diminishing more and more. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's a very hard position to be in because especially as a franchise operator, oftentimes you're, you're, you're caught in between in the middle, dependent on what type of, of model there is. And as much as we would love to say it boils down to, to, to just a name, uh, I, I think right now to, 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 sh- to, to really adapt in today's market, it's not about just cutting costs. It's, it's also about looking at your own revenue models and just saying, are they up to date? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I do know there's huge opportunity in, in the walkovers or roll-ins like Ray was talking about as well. Um, you know, because right, they started these offices and they're the rainmakers and, uh, um, it's becoming more difficult to, to support that. Um, I know Steve kind of Murray has talked about that extensively of kind of that hyper local growth in that. So where do you expand to from where you are? Like, are you looking at other territories? Are you looking to expand throughout Florida? Um, or are you just looking to gain market share in your local? area in Jacksonville. Then you want to, I, we, we just had this discussion last week, so <laughs> Sonny's, he's excited about it. So I'll let Sonny. <laughs> okay. I was, well, um, right now I could tell you with our roll-ins, we're coming up with new revenue share models where we're able to be the back end and these companies can preserve their identity in the front end. So that's something that we're really, really excited about. But uh, what we're really more excited about is the opportunities to get into some of these other markets. That was the primary purpose of this rev share model was so that we can go ahead and start getting into markets like uh, from south of us in Fernandina or far south as Daytona, uh, because we do see that. And I think this is what's going to happen with at least I think any brokerage that wants to survive. They need to look at how is it working with their office spaces because pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, that has shifted a lot. Uh, They need to look at agent services. What are they using and what aren't they using and what other auxiliary businesses can they sit there and make money from, which that has been our big, big push right now is just auxiliary services. Um, But yeah, I mean, the growth, it's exciting. Uh, because when you're selling, I think, a full service model in an industry where the margins are getting thinner and thinner for agents, especially with all the news of commissions, um, agents agents are looking to cut costs. And I think it's important for brokers to look at what business model they're in and, and ask themselves, you know, are are they growing or are they just dying a slow death? Because I could tell you at one point, um, we were dying a slow death and it was just taking, it was just a matter of time uh, until we decided that we needed to look again at our revenue model. Is it, is it current? Is it relevant? Is it where the, the industry is right now? And, and, and I can tell you right now we're spot on. Tracy, one thing I would like to add, you know, you're talking about do we want, so we're looking at a concept similar to like a hub and spoke where, we're the hub and then, you know, you go out to like the areas that are, so we're not looking to expand throughout the whole state. 
but um, you know, north of us, south of us a little, and west of us, and we'll be like the hub, and then you have the spokes that go out to the offices in our immediate vicinity. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you um, do you have any? T- I know that United isn't really a virtual model, but do you work that way at all within your model? So virtually, you having virtually capacity. So we are all of our offices. We have six locations in Northeast Florida, and so we have actual you know office space. Uh, we have the capacity to be virtual. Sunny was mentioning it a little bit. Um, before. So if the agent, so we have an agent in Orlando, he was living here, he lives in Orlando, we have an agent that lives in West Palm. So they have, they virtually are part of our location. Um, We do like, you know, talking about, you said hyper local, the local, I still think consumers want those local experts in those, in those areas that they're moving. So we're a true believer in partnering with those local experts in the areas that we want to expand to. So we offer virtual, but we still feel it's important to have that local presence. Tracy, I'm just going to add on that. I'm going to say, I mean, we are, we, we're, we're about 60, 40, I mean, hybrid. Um, but as, as we start to expand, we understand the necessity to be able to build out that virtual environment as well. So with the bullseye platform, it does enable us to be able to uh, help the agents be productive from afar. Uh, But, you know, again, I I think pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, what we're finding at least post-pandemic, at what point agents weren't using the office as much. But I think a lot of it also had to do with the state of the market, because when things are good, you, you tend to not be in the office, but then you know, when things shift, you come back in for fellowship, which quite frankly, I think is important for any agent that's going through this, because quite frankly, if if they're suffering right now, this is the first time they've had to suffer in the first two to three years. And and this industry probably has provided, you know, many fruits for their labor that I think if this is the first time they have to sweat it out, it's not that bad. And there's still sales happening. I just think, again, it goes back into adaptation. Are you adapting as a realtor? Are you adapting as a broker? Are you adapting as a brand? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about um, adaptation or adapting as brokerages. Um, I know, Sunny, you were president of your local MLS. Ray, I think you're president now. Um, Obviously, there are several settlements to the commission lawsuits. And um, there, I mean, Redfin just announced today that they're not requiring membership with uh in in some of the markets to nar and there are rumors that the settlements also kind of allude to that um we don't know what's in them though yet so i don't want to overstep but florida is a transaction brokerage state and when we spoke in orlando you you were saying that were the, the state and your brokerage is positioned for those changes so sunny do you want to start and talk to me a little bit about you know kind of the whole how you're positioned, the transaction brokerage concept in that as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think ultimately what it boils down to is, uh, or the fear is how do agents collect potentially a commission from a buyer? And I think it's a matter of them being able to pivot. You know, prior, uh, about mid-2000s, uh, Florida was considered a single agent state. And if you wanted to show a house in your brokerage, you had to get permission to uh, transition into a transaction broker. Uh, That changed later in 2000. 
And we became all transaction brokers, which as a transaction broker, you know, we're there to facilitate the transaction. We're offering limited confidentiality, which I think sometimes as a buyer's agent is hard to deliver a value proposition, uh, especially if you're not in their corner, giving them full loyalty when it comes to getting them the best price. Whereas uh, our agents, what we're coaching them into is, is buyer broker agreements and you know, the ability to sit there and offer single agency. Uh, as a single agent, you know, they're able to try to get the best terms for that buyer. Uh, and I think that is where we can start to see value. Um, I do know that there's some agents that still do have some concerns with it. And, and quite frankly, Tracy, what I tell them, if you're that scared, donate to RPAC and let the money do the fighting for you, or even better yet, become the listing agent. Because on the listing side, uh, that's where they have the control and the ability to sit there and, and uh, I guess, get compensated for a true service in, in, as far as marketing the property. Yeah. Ray, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I could pick. Yeah, um, I, I'm the president next year, Tracy. Okay, next year. I'm the vice president this year of RMLS. Yeah. So I get to be in the heat of when all the stuff will probably come down. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, our MLS has definitely been looking at this um, for the last couple of years. We knew this was kind of coming and um, being at a lot of meetings and you're hearing a lot of people talk and the doom and gloomers and the ones that are saying, oh, everything's, nothing's going to change. Da, da, da. We've been doing this for 100 years. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I, I do feel um, transparency, the consumer understanding how commissions get paid. Um, disclosure. I think all of that is good. And if we can, um, if it makes our industry better, I think it's great for everybody. Um, currently in our market, uh, the on our listing agreements, there's a field that you could put, we have to put at least $1. I mean, that's one of the issues, but the, you know, the seller can offer a dollar compensation in the MLS. There is always, it's always a bit of negotiable. Um, it's, you know, it's not that the seller can't negotiate that or the buyer um, on their end can't negotiate the commission that the, their, their buyer's agent's receiving. I mean, we see that a lot of times where a buyer asks a buyer's agent, hey, would you be able to rebate me back or offer any closing costs? And so it's always been able to happen. So I, I think the, the argument, this is my viewpoint, it's not real MLS's viewpoint. I think this is an, a, an issue that isn't as big as everybody's making it out to be, at least in our market, in our area, in our state. It's always been a negotiable field. Um, our agents are always allowed to negotiate commissions, but I can understand them where they're saying, okay, well, how it's done, a lot of these buyers aren't aware, but the unintended consequences of it, Tracy, are who's going to get hurt if um, you know, the buyer's commission, if the buyer's going to charge their buyers a commission on their end. And it's usually the lower end buyer, the buyer that doesn't have money for closing costs. It's not allowable. Like Sonny was saying, we have to you know, try to get some legislation passed where um, buyer's commission can be added as allowable closing uh, costs or in a VA or FHA. So um, I think we're just in the beginning of, of what's going to happen on the changes. Um, but I think our industry as a whole is well positioned to deal with it. And it goes back to have being you know, part of a brokerage where they're looking at what's out there, how training them on how to do it. 
Um, I do think you, it will, um, you will see some buyers, agents, uh, maybe getting out of the business, the ones, like Sunny was saying, that can't show their value. Um, so I, I think in the end, we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay. I think it's going to weed out some agents. And in the end, I think our industry is going to be better for it. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like there's this groundswell movement toward NAR becoming a different um, organization. Uh, you know, I know Rob Hahn, you know, had an article yeah. about it with Redfin moving. There's just, um, and most of them talk about how much the local and state associations are doing for them and would like to join those separately as well. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting how it all plays out. Yes, yeah, Sunny. I was just going to say, too, you know, long before there was NAR, you had scrupulous landowners in Florida selling swamp land. So I, I think sometimes we don't we, we forget history of why things exist. And I think if you asked most agents, you know, when it came to a seller and and, and dealing ethically, Sometimes the difference between them doing the right thing and the wrong thing is the agent. And, and, and then I think what would end up happening if, if, if there was no NAR, you know, the thought that, you know, using your spouse's divorce attorney, the listing agent is going to get put the buyer in a more advantageous position. Uh, I, I think we, unfortunately, if there were changes, we would almost have to see people hurt for them to remember why. Uh, we had to create this, this, these ethical standards because uh, these aren't laws, right? They're, these aren't the laws that rule all of the land. These, these, these are the, the rules that we decide to abide by when we play in the sandbox together. And, and it's, again, it's been an industry that's been around for quite some time. And hopefully we don't have to learn our lesson the hard way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think NAR is going away, um, in my opinion. I think that it might get streamlined. There might be some new membership options. Yeah. There might be some changes that way. They put far too much money into lobbying for the home buyer and home seller um, for them to go away. Um, so, so, you know, there are obvious advantages to having a professional association as well. So. Yeah, I, I did. I did think it was interesting Redfin's position with NAR mm -hmm. and how, you know, they're not withdrawing. They didn't want to withdraw from everything. They just wanted to withdraw from national. So I, 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 I it's a very interesting perspective, um, and I could, I can understand their position uh, by having that. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I mean. That was too fresh for us to even really digest this morning, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> I didn't even think I had a cup of coffee after reading that. I was like, oh, this is juicy. And then we're going to be on your podcast. I was like, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I want to get into tech because we don't have a ton of time left. Uh, but you have both been on the cutting edge of several, like Op City, Boomtown, one of their first customers. Um, you heavily invest in Zillow. So how are you determining whether a tech product is worth it or not? And I understand now you're under the United umbrella and they offer their own platform, but I kind of want to talk more to the brokers who are trying to determine where they should invest their money right now. Um, Sunny, we'll start with you. You know, I, I like the, the, the little startups. Um, I've always found... Um, just, I mean, whether it was Op City when Op City, for, I, I've seen them at a, a trade show, 
And I just saw at the time something, it was just innovative. I, I think the problem right now in the tech industry is the past problem. It'll be interesting to see what AI now, but I think the last couple years, there wasn't really any innovation in the tech. It was just a lot of the same type of tech, but just maybe slightly different. But, you know, what we're looking for when we're looking at technology, I think is definitely more innovation. Uh, you know, how are they generating leads? Because especially when it comes to lead tech, that's, I mean, to me, the most important thing, because I do think brokerages as a broker, if you don't have your own lead team and you're not generating revenue, um, you're leaving money on the table for other people to get. But I, I think it really is just kind of the startups, the the, the, the new innovative tech that's there. And, and I, I enjoy going to all the trade shows um, that are out there because to me, that's the best place to find them. Uh, having those conversations, I won't usually have the conversation on the floor. I usually will tell them I'm not a deal guy. You can call me next week and we can certainly have some conversations but I think, you know, with these tech companies, if they want to get into business with bigger brokerages, uh, they need to allow an, a courting time because when you're introducing technology on a mass scale, it's got to make sense and it's got to work. Yeah, Tracy, the other big thing, like if you're, yeah, if you're asking like brokers, like, hey, where do I spend my money? That's a big thing when you start out. And I remember when we started out, um, we weren't making a lot of money. We had just started out and um, we invested a big chunk of our revenue in a company called Realty Generator. It was like the first um, boom town, one of the first boom towns. And then they obviously got bought out and it was a big chunk. And he was explaining to us, you know, what it was. Um, and it was buyer leads, consumer goes in there, you know, just like a typical boom town sink, all of the platforms just gotten better since then. Um, but the big thing I, I tell other brokers is, is it solving, is that technology that you're getting solving a current problem or need that you have in a brokerage? So or do you have enough leads coming in? No. Okay. So is there some tech platform that's going to help with that lead problem? Um, is, do you have a CRM? You know, is that, is that going to help you with, you know, your CRM, a website, a website? So the, the tech that you're investing in has to either solve a problem or it has to, you know, make your life as a broker better, easier. We're going to get you to that, to that next level. And if it doesn't, if it's just a shiny new object, it's not worth it. Not worth it. Because um, you could spend a lot of money on good ideas that don't pan out. I was going to say, are you seeing any really good generative AI, um, sp real estate specific products out there yet? I mean, I know that a lot of them incorporate it into it, but there are tons of apps um, out there that are being built right now using the open, you know, chat GPT. I personally, I mean, I'm seeing the tools, Canva, RPR, I mean, the integrations, but I, nothing that I think has evolved AI real estate specific yet. Um, I could see it on the horizon, especially, I think, because like right now, I know I've been toying around with it when it comes down to, for instance, listing descriptions. You know, AI doesn't have a way to bridge public records yet. And I, I'm sure at some point there's going to be some tech company that's going to be able to figure out how to, you know, bridge that API so that now we're getting raw data from public records when it comes down to bedrooms, baths, square footage, acreage, things of that nature. 
Um, but yeah, I have not seen anything, but who's to say, I mean, cause it's, it's, it's growing so fast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think the other with AI you going to see, and you, you've seen it in the past a little bit with the predictive analytics, like who is going to be who like predicting what's going to happen in the future. Um, I think you're going to see more of that because it's the big data play. Everybody's getting everybody's data. And you're going to, I think that's another avenue where you're going to see a lot of this analytics where the AI is going to look and say, hey, here's a potential, you know, customers in your database that are going to be looking to buy in the next two, three years. You're going to see a lot of that, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have one more question for you both. Um, so I'll start with Ray. What does the future hold for your firm? Oh, nice question. We're we're excited, Tracy. You know, we're really excited about the future just because kind of things that we alluded to earlier. We feel we're in a really good place position in the market where um, we have the ability to be on the forefront of all the new technology coming out, being partnering with a company like United that has their own technology. They're looking at the AI. Um, they're looking at what else is out there. Um, when I remember we went to one meeting and it's like, we're not looking at like what's ahead always. We're looking at what's around the corner. Um, Cause you can always see so far ahead, but we can't always see what's around the corner. And um, we feel like we part with a company that's trying to look to see what's around the corner to plan for something before it's even there. Um, because if you asked me three or four years ago, buyer's agent composition, uh, comp compensation was, you know, might be done with, I'm like, Oh, you think, I think you're crazy. And look where we are today, you know? So um, no one knows what the future is. I just think it's important one to align yourself with a company that um, is looking at that. Um, for us, we're excited about the future um, because we're very nimble in an organization um, that, you know, we could adjust if we have to. Um, and I would say, don't believe all the naysayers that our industry is over with. And, you know, our jobs that we have are, you know, going away. I'm not a believer in that. The consumer still wants that local person that's from that area that understands that market. Um, how we get compensated might change, but the uh, death of the agent, I think, is something that um, we're not going to see anytime soon. Sonny, you want to add to that? Yeah, Um I have a crystal ball, so let me tell you the future. Ray can't tell you. No, <laughs> um, no I mean, I, I we're, we're positioned for growth. I mean, it's so exciting. Like, I was talking with my wife, and uh, this is going to be the first year in five years that we actually hit our, our recruiting goal, which is is amazing because in a, in a market that, you know, is doing what it's doing, uh, we're experiencing growth. I mean, we're up, I think, almost like 18 to 20% right now, and the future right now even looks brighter despite I think what is happening in real estate, because I think anyone that's at a, um, a, 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 a brokerage that is, is focused on, you know, comp more compensation to the agent, I think they're going to be poised for growth right now in this, in this market. Um, otherwise I think it's just dying a slow death. Um, if they stay there in the middle, that's complacency is the worst thing. Complacency is not only the killer of agents, it's also the killer of brokerages. Well, Sonny and Ray, thanks so much for joining the Real Trending podcast. This was great. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you for allowing us the chance to be here. Thank you, Tracy. 
Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.